The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have re reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Good morning, folks. Good morning, folks on Zoom. Good to be with everybody. Um, I do want to uh, encourage you to open your Bibles, if you haven't already, or open your Bible app on your phone to the book of Philippians. I don't have the luxury of PowerPoint today, so um, that's not just a bell or a whistle. That helps me. It expedites our ability to analyze text together, and I want everything I say I want you to have confidence that everything I say is based on biblical text. Um, I'll be saying some things today that are going to make some of us a little uncomfortable. Um, I assure you I'm more uncomfortable than you are. Uh, so I, I definitely want you knowing that what I'm saying is coming from the, the text. And if, if it doesn't appear to, I want, I want to talk to you about it. I want you to show that to me. Okay. Love all y'all very much. And, and, we talked last week about what, what it is that is our bond, what, what brings us together as a church family. Paul says in Philippians 1.5, so read with me, Philippians 1.5. This is where we, we started last week. This is kind of part two of that lesson. He says that um, what he has with the Philippian church is a partnership in the gospel. That's a phrase from Philippians 1.5, or your version if you're using the King James Version, so Larry at home fellowship in the gospel. I actually like the, the King James here better. We share in the gospel. That's the bond. That's what unites us. He says further down in verse 7 that we are partakers, or your version may say joint partakers of grace. Grace is the essence of the gospel. So that's kind of a restatement. What we share isn't a certain race, a certain language, a certain class, a certain nation, a certain politics, a certain education level, a certain set of hobbies, or all the other things people get their identity from. We have a shared identity in the gospel, in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as diverse as we may be, we all share this. We utterly depend upon God's grace, upon the good news that God saves us in spite of our sins. That's what we have in common, and that's where we should get our identity. Now, each of you, myself included, we're all continually constructing an identity. What do I mean by that? We're always continually 
constructing a sense of self, of who we are, essentially. And, and we can actually get quite defensive about our perceived identity. The lifestyle, the rights, the assumptions that we've made central to our identity. But as Jesus followers, our identity in Christ and in his cross should absolutely dwarf all of our other identities. I hope that's not even, I hope that's kind of a redundant statement here. Is there any question that our identity in Christ should, should trump all the other identities that we might have? Well, unfortunately, quote unquote Christians often are more zealous to maintain their worldly identities than they are an identity rooted in the gospel. It's like the meaning of the word Christian has changed. I don't know if you've noticed this. People use the word Christian and Christianity in our culture and our society, arguably as much or more than they have in the history of humanity in any other nation. But Christianity and Christian, those terms aren't just a bunch of slogans or memes. Christian isn't just a synonym for traditional culture or Western civilization. Western civilization is a mixed bag. It's not a synonym for some political agenda, whether conservative or liberal. And it certainly shouldn't be conflated with nationalism, with any particular nation or polity. Paul, after all, in Philippians 3.20 says to this self-consciously Roman colony where Christians had, where the church had started, he says, remember, your citizenship is in heaven. Your identity, he may as well have said, is not rooted in Roman Philippi and in your Roman way of life. It's rooted in heaven. The logic, the economics, the calculus of heaven. So to follow Christ is to enter a whole new life. It's not about some slogan. It's a whole new life. And it's to embrace a manner of life that flows from the logic of the cross. And that's what we should be striving for. Look at Philippians 127. Actually, turn with me in all these passages. It's really important today to do so. Philippians 127. Paul says this, only let your manner of life, your lifestyle, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and are not frightened by anything among your, among your opponents. In other words, when we get stressed out and we feel like there's opponents to the gospel, there's a real tendency to lose the essence of the gospel. But he reminds them, your manner of life, your striving must be for the faith of that grace that was shown at the cross. The cross is the heart of the whole thing. But it's possible, folks, for Christians, and I mean us as, us as well, it's possible for Christians to have false sources of identity, to glory in things, in other things, more than they glory in Christ's cross. And it's those false identities, those false sources of of our sense of self and who we are that is the subject of this lesson this morning. All right, I wanna focus on false identities. As disciples, we, we don't have any right, and, and hopefully we don't have any desire, surely, to weigh down the precious and pure gospel of Jesus with the baggage of other identities. 
We don't have any right to do that. It's not ours. So how do we recognize these false sources of identity? Paul helps us in chapter 3. So let's turn now to Philippians chapter 3. And this is the, the, the chapter from which Nick uh, just read at the outset. Paul helps us identify and recognize these false sources of identity when he pits glorying in Christ, quote-unquote, against confidence in the flesh, quote-unquote. I read now from Philippians 3, verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision, in a spiritual sense, because there was a Judaizing element there that was binding circumcision like so many other places. He says, we're the real circumcision who worship, remember our theme for 2020? We worship by the Spirit of God, and notice this, glory in Christ Jesus, but put no confidence in the flesh. I think that's the rub right there. What are you glorying in? Not right now. Church isn't just an escape from the world. We're reminded of our story, our narrative, our identity, so we can go back into the world. Jesus was anything but an escapist. He came into it. He was good up in heaven. He came into the mess, into the pain, into the suffering, into the conflict, into the fray. And Paul says basically what it comes down to is are we glorying in Christ or is our confidence in the flesh? Is your confidence, is my confidence really in the cross? And I'm going to ask you right now, folks, to be brave, to be courageous, because this is a hard thing to face. Difficult questions to ask ourselves. But I believe we're up to it. I think there's mature Christian men and women here. Ask yourself, what in my life is competing with the gospel to shape my identity? If that's too abstract, one helpful test or thought experiment would be to ask yourself, what do I obsess on? What makes me the most anxious? What gets me the most irritated or the most angry, the most frustrated? I'll quote Kathy Keller here. I've, quote, I've quoted her before. I can't remember if it's Tim or Kathy Keller. They say this all the time in a lot of their writings. Pull up your uncontrollable emotions by the roots. You'll find your idols clinging to them. Don't be surprised just because you're a Christian if you found that thought experiment indicting. Being religious doesn't keep you from having false sources of identity. Paul himself was also very religious, but he confesses that he once placed his confidence in the flesh. I'm going to read now from Philippians 3, the second half of verse 4, beginning, where he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, like the most devout. As to zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had achieved a lot professionally, right? In rabbinical circles, for his chosen profession, kind of a, a, an ancient seminarian, he had gone a long way, and he now calls that in verse 8. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Poop. 
your version may say rubbish. The word, look it up, scubalon, actually means poop. I'm just giving you the euphemism. He's trying to go out of his way to say, that's how valueless this is now. It just stands in the way. It, 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 it's something that, that taints the truth of the glory of Christ. That's, that's how he sees his professional accomplishments. And perhaps our own careers, our own work, our own achievements play too great a role in our identity. Yeah, we go to church, we use the name Christian, we love Jesus abstractly, but when it comes down to it, our real sense of security and identity, our real loyalties may be to our sense of accomplishment. But even those folks who would focus more on religious righteousness, as Paul puts it, they're not necessarily out of the woods either. Paul warns against in verse 9, quote, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, instead of, quote, righteousness from God that depends on faith. Faith not in our works, but in the work of Christ on the cross. That's verse 9, those phrases. Indeed, Paul says his whole new identity, his whole new sense of self, is shaped by the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Notice verse 10. Here's what he says. I want to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection that I may share in his sufferings. Not just Jesus suffered for me. He said, I'm going to embrace suffering, selfless suffering. I'm going to share that. I want to, quote, become like him in his death. Become like Jesus in his death. All of this grows out of Philippians 2, 3 through 8. This is what Michael read a minute ago. I won't read the whole thing again. I will read the first two or three verses. This has been called Paul's master story. You could argue, I think convincingly, that everything Paul says to any church in any of his letters, if you, what's the, the heart core story that he is riffing off of to make these points in these various contexts around the Mediterranean basin in the first century? It's this. Jesus' self-emptying act on the cross is our whole new paradigm. It's the basic pattern and framework for our daily life. Not just how you got saved. It's our new MO. It's our new identity. We're to have this mind in us that was in Jesus. So let me read here, just to remind you in Philippians 2, verse 3. It's not coming up from some abstract cloudland theological, you know, treatise perspective. This is, he's addressing real problems on the ground in Philippi, just like we have real problems on the ground in the modern U.S. He says this, do nothing from rivalry or pride, but in humility count other people more significant than yourselves. Wow. That's what the cross means. It's a little more specific. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, this mentality in you that was in Christ when he emptied himself of all of his divine heavenly privileges to become a human being, to die on a cross for us, for other people who are boneheaded and rebellious and selfish, who are sinners. So this all grows out. Paul's desire to be like Jesus in his death grows out of the core master story of Christianity, the self-emptying sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if we can get that mind, the mind of Christ, it will do revolutionary things in our lives, folks. It will cause us to forsake the way of rivalry and pride, which is the conventional MO of human beings throughout history, Christians included, for humility. Humility. 
verse 3. It frees us. Imagine the liberty of this. It frees us from the continual obsession with our own prerogatives to see the interests of others. That's what verse 4 says, verbatim quote. This mind of Christ listens. It listens before it doubles down. It shows empathy. It offers grace. Boy, could we use this right now. As black Americans cry out to have their basic humanity be respected and protected from abuse, Christians should be the first to say amen. Black lives do matter. They more than matter. That's not even the question. They don't just matter. Jesus emptied himself of the privilege of heaven, of his rights to die on a cross for them. And the Bible's pages brim with stories. They're chock full of stories of a God who especially seeks out the marginalized, the oppressed, the vulnerable, the stepped on, the invisible, the voiceless. Jesus, after all, is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to pursue that one lost sheep. Does that mean all the other sheep don't matter? No, they matter. But the one lost one is lost. He's the one that needs rescuing. Love of neighbor, Michael talked about a minute ago, is the scripture's great command. It fulfills the law, Paul wrote to the Galatians. And when Christ told his classic story to illustrate neighbor love and what it really means, the good Samaritan cared way less about his right to travel the Jericho Road inconvenience than he did helping the hurting man on the side of that road, despite centuries of Jew-Samaritan prejudice. You know why? Because compassion, and that's the pivot point in the narrative, but when he had, saw him, he had compassion. Not the religious leaders, the people who were supposed to be neighbor lovers, but this Samaritan. He had compassion on him, and compassion trumped tribalism. Protecting another person mattered more than protecting his pocketbook or his privileges. He traveled down a road notorious for bandits. That's what ancient Near Eastern historians tell us. It was notorious for thieves and bandits. It was a dangerous road. But you know what he was locked and loaded with? Love. We need to be locked and loaded with love. So much of our identity is tied up as human beings in our rights and our privileges. Don't tread on me, etc., etc. At the cross, Jesus emptied himself of his rights and privileges. He said, in essence, do tread on me. However, if Christianity is to offer the world something better than the tired old cycle of rivalry and vengeance and heartlessness, we must stand for justice in ways that embody the self-giving love of the cross. Too many folks want to fight fire with fire, and they end up, ironically, emulating the injustice that they seek to end. 
when Jesus came into the world, the Roman world didn't need more violence or more us versus them thinking. Roman oppression was real. It was evil. It's unscriptural. If the prophets of the Old Testament mean anything, injustice and immorality and idolatry are pretty much the, 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 uh, the tri-eyes of the, of the Old Testament. Roman oppression was evil. The Bible says so. But there were already enough culture-warring Pharisees and dagger-wielding zealots. The world didn't need any more of that. What the world needed was something different. A third way, if you will. Neither accepting the injustice of the status quo, accommodating it, sidling up to it, freaking out anytime somebody suggests everything isn't perfect. It didn't need that. But neither did it need people to oppose that injustice by adopting its dehumanizing methods. If dehumanizing people is wrong, dehumanizing people is wrong, period. You know, Jesus could have nuked Rome and all of its lackeys in one fell swoop. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He chose instead the way of the cross. And I realize we're a diverse lot, and I'm, 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 you know, this is a minefield I'm applying this to. Believe me, it's tempting for me week by week to not go there, wherever there is. But the older I get, I'm more and more convinced that my audience is, is God. I don't mean to sound grandiose. I mess up all the time. But I, I, don't, I don't see how I could use this book and what Jesus did and not talk about real life. So I hope you'll, you'll show me some grace. I know we're a diverse group. I'm glad we are. The gospel has the ability to go into all kinds of people's hearts and lives and transform them all. And of course, some of us have more conservative leanings and some of us have more progressive leanings, and that's fine. Tell you what we should all be leaning on, though. We should all be leaning first and foremost on the cross of Jesus Christ. And by finding our common identity in it, we who claim to follow the Prince of Peace can be a beacon of God's love in these fraught times. Thanks a lot for your attention.